0: And I think marketing 101 will continue. You still need to attract eyeballs to your property, but I think the the next generation of the marketplaces are gonna be full stack, where you don't just do marketing, you actually help the renter and landlord through the entire transaction on one platform.
1: Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we provide an insider's look into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we take a deep dive into the technologies and strategies that have helped companies overcome operational challenges and increase the value of their multifamily investments. So without further delay, let's get into today's discussion.
2: Welcome back to Sink or Swim. I'm Mitch Fanning with RentSync, formerly LWS. And joining me today is Anthemos Georgiadis, co-founder and CEO of Zumper, the largest privately held apartment rental platform that aims to make renting an apartment as easy as booking a hotel. Anthemos, how are you doing today?
0: Thanks for having me, Mitch. I'm doing well. How are you?
2: I'm doing fantastic. So today, I feel like we're going to cover a lot of ground in in a in really such a short period of time. But before we do, before we dig in, maybe uh, for those who are not familiar um, or really haven't heard the backstory before, maybe we could start there in in terms of like how Zumper actually began.
0: Sure. So uh, I'm British, as you can probably tell by my accents, and uh, way back when in like 2003. Way before I founded the company, I was at college in the UK, and back at college, you had to line up overnight in front of property management offices to like be first in line to for when property managers released their new inventory to market. So even back in 2003, as the internet was coming to bear, it seemed crazy there wasn't just like a book button for an apartment. Why can't I book a 12-month lease online? Why do I have to go in person? And then fast forward a decade, no one solved the problem, and so. Uh, back in 2012, we founded Zumper with that mission to make renting an apartment as easy as booking a hotel, originally uh, based in the US, where we now have um, a lot of users. And then in uh, 2016, we also moved into Canada when we acquired uh, Padmapper, which had been a very popular brand in Canada, and then actually leveraged their relationships to, to build the Zumper brand in Canada too. And it's now a, a huge market for us where between Canada and the US, we have 15 million visits a month. Uh, so it's a big piece of the future.
2: Yeah, it's really extraordinary in terms of just your your traction in Canada. Now, I know just from my research, some of the people that uh, have interviewed you have kind of joked around as far as your your, your background with uh, with the management consulting and uh, BCG. Can you can you tell me kind of a uh, can you is there a time when you can actually uh, when a past failure at BCG or even at the Harvard Business School kind of set you up for success at zumper
0: Oh, I mean, like many entrepreneurs, I'm sure, including Rensik, we've failed. Like I fail every week at stuff. Like I <laughs> I get stuff wrong every week, and I think it's a good sign you're pushing hard enough. I think at BCG the thing I learned. Yeah, I was I was only at BCG for three years in London and New York, and I think the thing I learned was like so many of my projects probably ultimately failed because big companies just lose their, their kind of urgency. And so it wasn't BCG that was non urgent. It was often our clients where you do all this work, stay up to four in the morning, write these brilliant decks. And for anyone who knows in consulting, you often do all this analysis, give it to the CEO of the big company. They know it's the right answer, but they're organizationally not set up to actually deliver it. And so all your work ends up on a shelf and never sees the light of day. And so, So often our projects didn't have impact because the CEO never implemented them. They just liked the idea, showed it to the board, but never did them. And I think I always carried that with me to Zumper, where I just, we have 200 people, we're growing super fast, but I want to retain that urgency in our company where like, we we know we have to work fast, smart, harder than the big public competitors in the space like Zillow because we're smaller than them and we have to be more nimble uh, to catch them.
2: Well, I definitely see the results of that with some of the virtual touring capabilities or even virtual uh, leasing uh, solutions that you guys are putting out there like like InstaRent. You guys are definitely responding to the market and being nimble in that respect. You you mentioned Padmapper, and that's interesting. Of all the U.S. rental marketplaces or, or listing sites in Canada, Zumper definitely seems to be the most active. And obviously, besides the fact that you did acquire them back in February of 2016, you know, what did you see in the, in the Canadian marketplace that perhaps others didn't?
0: I think we saw an amazing opportunity. Um, we um, We saw very similar consumer behavior to the US. So we knew that our platform would work in Canada and that the same filters were popular, the same method of searching. And I think, um, you know, the U.S. Has, has fierce competition for set for decades now between, you know, CoStar and Zillow and Rempath, And um, no one was looking at Canada, but the Canadian market is, is enormous. And you have, uh, you know, five or six major cities that are bigger than most American cities we operate in. And no one was taking advantage of it. And I, we, we're familiar that you have, you know, Kijiji there that's been there for a long time. And when we acquired PanMapper. Uh, the main rationale was at the time they were the same size as Zumper in the us so we wanted to yeah. double since then Zumper has grown much faster but there's a, a side benefit of acquiring Panmapper was understanding the canadian market and so uh, Pamapper spent years understanding how to build for canada and uh crucially had built up great inventory and i think as any two-sided marketplace knows it's really hard to solve chicken and egg if, do you get the listings first or do you get the eyeballs first? Yep. And Pamapper kind of solved that where I think many people who are listening to this will have known Pamapper for years in in Canada, they're very popular in Toronto, very popular in Vancouver. And um, we kind of cheated our way into Canada with the inventory. And now what's crazy is, um, yeah, like on SEO and on like branded searches, like we're really big in Canada and we're really excited that um, we kind of got there pretty quickly, um, both through Pamapper, but now, Actually, by piping the listings onto Zumper, I think Zumper actually has more traffic than Pamapper in Canada now, which is wild given how big uh, Pamapper was there three years ago.
2: Yeah, Anthemos, you bring up a really good point. Is one of the things we've noticed is anyone in our space that uh, is kind of U.S. based and wants to make a, kind of a presence in Canada. Doesn't really take the time to learn, uh, learn our market. Now, I would, I would honestly say that you know, anytime you want, you you go to market, uh, you have to understand kind of the the landscape. But it definitely is different than in in the U.S. for sure. Um, now, obviously, we couldn't kind of conclude this 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 chat without really talking about COVID nineteen and its its impact that it's had on the rental market. Um, so switching gears. Um, Specifically, what I'm talking about is, you know, pandemic pricing, uh, the rents dropping in major, major centers like San Francisco, like New York, like Boston, uh, while at the same time rising uh, in secondary markets like, you know, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, really that Brooklyn effect that we're we're referring to. Um, So I'd like to kind of start by getting your general thoughts and maybe even starting with San Fran you're, you're kind of in your, your own backyard and maybe moving into some conversation around some of the factors.
0: Yeah sure at a high level the point you um, make is completely accurate um, there's been this kind of what, you, what we call a Brooklyn effect which we've seen for years and people leaving Manhattan for Brooklyn for a better quality of life, lower cost of living and also more space and so when you think about COVID as you would expect there's been a somewhat a flight from cities to like secondary, what, what people would have called secondary markets before, where it's cheaper, but also you have more space. You maybe have an extra bedroom that you can now turn into an office. So um, I, I naturally, I think given shelter in place, but also given a recession where an unprecedented amount of people in Canada and America lost their job, there's been a flight to more affordable places to live. In San Francisco, that has absolutely happened. Um, But then there's been this compounded effect that of all of North America, I think the Bay Area has had the biggest work from home um, kind of uh, experiment and the biggest talk about like permanent remote work. Where, you know, Facebook a few months ago told 40,000 employees they may never have to come back to work. Google this week told people that they're not going to be back till at least like June 2021. And so, Whereas rents in general are down in big cities, in like Mountain View near Facebook and Google, they've been down 16% year on year for like a one-bedroom apartment. And so you've seen this like compounded effect in tech hubs, which have typically pioneered the experiment of remote work and, you know, doing everything over Zoom and Slack. So um, there's no signs that that's going to end. There's definitely an equilibrium point where, you know, rents in New York and San Francisco are not going to halve. There is a point at which they get low enough that people will move in. So this like sensationalist argument that these cities are going to empty is not true. However, they're going to be reset and COVID is going to be the occasion for that.
2: Yeah. And I want to touch upon the whole, you know, trend to uh, or shift to remote, but what's your thoughts on kind of, the the factors when it comes to short term rentals, kind of coming into the long term market and how that's affecting rents. Does that kind of play? Is that kind of playing a, a you know a, a big role or or what do you what do you what do you think about that or kind of what are you guys seeing? Yeah, I, th- I think that's real.
0: I think that the two factors on oh, I think there are three factors pushing prices down:
2: two are demand,
0: one is supply. On demand, it's unemployment and a recession and then it's work from home and shelter in place where people don't need to live in cities anymore so there's reduced demand. So demand has been reduced for those two reasons. There's one supply factor that's forcing prices down which is more supply. And there is a huge movement of short-term month, you know, weekend to weekend or month to month rentals that have come back into the long-term housing stock, meaning like 12 months leases plus. Uh, On Zumper is a testament to this. We've had 20% more listings in the last three months than last year, which is extraordinary given we already have most wow. of the listings in the US and Canada already. And so there's been a huge movement from short-term leases into long-term 12-month leases since the vacation you know, travel market's been depressed and also as landlords need more stable income to cover their mortgage. So extra supply has been the third factor that's driven prices down in, in major metros.
2: Yeah, we're, we're seeing that in Canada as well. And uh, I read actually a a recent article that talks about some of the hotels are starting to move into the, the long-term market as well. Um, So it's, it's interesting, you know, one of the things in Canada, it's the actual shift or the significance of like the drops aren't as high, but we're definitely seeing that as well in Canada. I mean, how how long how long do you think this is gonna last? I mean, it's just as far as the 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 trend as far as the pandemic pricing and, and the Brooklyn effect.
0: Yeah, I think it, it it'll plateau I, well I think first of all, I think we're in COVID for a while. I uh you know, I, I'm sitting in San Francisco in the middle of California and like we we have no green shoots that we're close to this being over. I know that is not true everywhere. And I think Canada is, is ahead of us. So I think COVID in America might be a real thing even beyond the vaccine till next summer. So I think we're in this for the medium term, at least. I think the plateau of prices will happen before then. I don't think prices will continue to fall as long as COVID because I think you'll hit an equilibrium where people then will still move in. But um, right now, the deceleration is continuing. And so we're in the midst of it. So uh, we're not about to call rent plateauing or kind of coming back. Um, Actually, the pressure's still downward. And we're about to announce some data next week, actually, where New York rents are down kind of sizably year on year and are also not showing signs of abating. So um, we're in the midst of it. It won't last forever, but um, we're in this for a while.
1: Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show.
2: Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, that whole migration due to remote work is interesting. And and, and a lot of companies are starting to relook at, you know, where they fall in that spectrum. You know, when it comes to remote work, I almost think it's a bit of a hybrid. In other words, People always have this conversation that it's binary. In other words, one hundred percent remote work versus uh, no, you have to be in a physical space where in a perfect world, sometimes it can be both. But we actually did a a recent survey with our survey uh, with our uh, employees. And when asked, you know what are the factors that they look at when choosing to to stay with an employer or or to to select one, um, flexible work hours and autonomy, and you know, job, you know, job duties or job uh, w- were more important than the actual physical workspace, and they were actually pretty indifferent about that that aspect. So, you know, as as co-founder and CEO of Zumper, how are you thinking about the future of remote work in general and and specifically at Zumper?
0: Well, Mitch, that's a, that's a great data point and so on, that, that influences me. I think we, um, it's impossible to imagine we're going to go back to working the same way, which is five days in the office, everyone in all day, uh, commuting in and commuting out. Um, I think we're so, I mean, Zumpa to be specific is much more productive since we've gone to shelter in place. Now, some of that is unsustainable that like, sure. I think work and life for all of us and I know for myself has become the same thing. But there are just like shorter meetings, more succinct decisions, like more kind of code written that I I think most companies want to continue with. So I I see something really similar, Mitch, which is some kind of hybrid where you keep your offices, but you don't, you maybe kind of each team comes into the office to collaborate one or two times a week um, and you leave it up to the department heads, but then you allow people to actually get stuff done from home. Um, So I think the experiment that we've been running as a society is showing many people that the old way of working that we inherited isn't potentially the most efficient but none of us had the confidence to take the leap of faith until we had to so um i think it will look different but i don't think it's this like a uh, seismic shift where everyone's remote forever more and never hangs out in person i think actually the best companies will keep a culture that does meet up because i think that's how you build your bonds but i don't know if that requires you to be in the office five days a week anymore.
2: Yeah. And, and I also think, you know, it also comes down to the individual. Uh, I know a lot of people who, uh, even on my team, who want to be just for, um, you know, mental health reasons, they'd like to be, in, you know, in an environment that's almost like the Starbucks environment, if you will, they'd like to have that noise around them. Um, whereas some people like just they um, like to have that focus time and they like to have the opportunity to come in to, to collaborate and have meetings. Um, so again, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, one thing I've noticed, um, not having a background in multifamily, the prop tech space in general has really exploded over the last five to six years. And obviously that could be uh, partially due to investment it could be partially to do uh, with adoption of technology and just uh, user behavior or customer behavior. You know, what I, the question I have here is, you know, I find that operators are embracing technology. Even prior to COVID-19, they were, they were bringing it on. You know, what are your thoughts? Why do you think that is? Why do you think, you know, now is the time for real estate in general to kind of adopt new technologies and new ways of doing business?
0: Yeah, I think like, it's pretty two answers to that. and I'm curious what you see at Rensink. I think one of them is just it's overdue. Like when I started Zumper like seven, eight years ago, I remember people saying that like financial services and real estate were the two final industries that were going to uh, open themselves up to technology. And actually seven years on, I think financial services did massively. And you see companies like Stripe and you see yeah. companies like... Um, all, all these kind of like integrations like plaids into your bank account and like fintech's gone really far in the last decade but actually real estate still hasn't really gone that far and it, it's it's very conservative, very traditional typically owned by people who didn't grow up with technology. and so part of the answer is it's just it's time and like real estate you could argue is probably the last major industry to really fall to technology. and then the other half is like the entrepreneurs and I think the companies that so often like, people sat in Silicon Valley mainly and like came up with these genius ideas in rooms and then never talked to customers (laughs) and like the customers didn't care they're like that's cute that you guys think that's important but that's not how we work and I think technology companies now they're being product first have like actually listened to their customers and like built with customers instead of just at them and I, so I think you're getting a lot of adoption now, like out of the gates, uh, because people have actually listened for the first time. So I think if you can b- combine those two things. It's, it's time, and I think real estate tech or prop tech is, as you're saying, has never received this much venture financing, and it's it's a lucrative business when you hit product market fit.
2: Yeah, you know, from my perspective, there was just so much inefficiency and. What I'm seeing, I, I almost feel like it's it's partially, you know, you're getting those entrepreneurs seeing it like you did back in 2012 with Zumper. I'm finding that maybe a lot of these operators are are there's a younger team at these uh at at, at these uh property management companies, and they're so used to ordering an Uber or ordering their, their coffee through their app, and then they come to the office. And uh, the last thing they want to do is is work on shitty software. Um, so there's that part. I also feel that, you know, really the, the tech stack that really operates some of these organizations have matured so much and you need those integrations to just run your business these days. So I think just the maturity around it. So one of the things I noticed, though, is you guys... Definitely seem to have a pulse on the rental market and uh, renter behavior specifically. Uh, and like I said, I mentioned the the launch of the virtual touring, leasing capabilities that you've you've uh, you've put out recently because of COVID. Instant rent is is one of them. You know, moving forward, we kind of we've kind of already touched upon this, but moving forward, you know, what do you think uh, rental marketing is going to look like? post-COVID?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to move towards the transaction. So I don't think we're overnight going to get a bunch of renters post-COVID who are just going to take apartments without going to visit them. Like you're going to spend a third of your income on your lease. And that's a huge decision. And you're going to go see it. If you live in Toronto, you're going to go see another apartment in Toronto. You're not going to be that lazy. You don't go see it. However, I think COVID will make people much more comfortable doing online tours before you go visit, committing to tours and booking them in, committing to deposits through the app. Like you're used to using Venmo. You're now commit to deposits through real estate apps and technologies that allow you to like then hand it off to the the management company or the landlords when you move in. And I think um, marketing 101 will continue, you still need to attract eyeballs to your property, but I think the the next generation of the marketplaces are going to be full stack, where you don't just do marketing, you actually help the renter and landlord through the entire transaction on one platform. I think you've seen that in every other industry, uh, and obviously on the very short-term rental market, Airbnb were obviously very successful at taking Craigslist, just the email back and forth and building it into a full-on transaction that happened online. I think that's where our market's going to go, and it's a much bigger market, so it's a huge opportunity. It'll just take some time.
2: Yeah, you definitely renters. Uh, you know, when I think you think about the amount of money they put out per year on rent, they're definitely going to want that frictionless um, experience that is almost like the Netflix experience. They're 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 going to want a lot of service for the amount of money they're putting out, and I I, I see that too. So, with that being said, then what's what's maybe some some advice that you can you can provide for these multifamily uh, operators or marketers or property management companies going forward?
0: Yeah, I am. Um, I think to today's renter, you know, Zumper's typical user in Canada and the U.S. is like a twenty-eight-year-old woman who's like professional. She's moving every year. Um, I think. Things that allow her to live her life with one touch point, not like multiple touch points are helpful. So whether you can like keep her in your property management software, or you can work with a platform like RenSic or Zumper to like help her move in and like do all these things in one place. She doesn't want six different logins. Like she just part of her move in experience, which is so emotional is she just wants to feel safe and that she's in one kind of like flow. Um, we're seeing this that like management companies in the US who do that are seeing significantly higher close rates on leases. So um, I think that's where software companies can really help landlords and managers succeed with, in becoming more transactional. Um, she just doesn't want to use four search platforms, two property management systems, a different company to pay her rent. It, it's too much in today's world. She just wants like as much of a one and done software system as possible, which helps. Management companies attract and then retain their tenants.
2: Couldn't agree more. So again, we're, we're going to switch gears for the last time before we close out this conversation, uh, and it's it's the really the quick fire round where I say a statement, and you'll have about thirty to sixty seconds to respond. Anthemos, are you ready? Let's go. All right. So the first question: What do you believe that others might disbelieve?
0: Uh, yeah, well, that's a good question. I think I believe there's nothing to do with real estate. I believe that hard work can take you further than intelligence. So uh, I've always been taught the opposite and that like smarts matters more than anything. And like, I've been risk averse in my career and gone to like Oxford and Harvard to prove that I'm intelligent, apparently, but actually <laughs> uh, hardworking, resilient people who didn't go to fancy schools, but uh, Often quite smart anyway, and because I don't think going to fancy school means anything. Um, they can they can outperform really clever people who sit in a room and procrastinate. So I think today's society sometimes shames hard work and says, "Oh, you shouldn't have to work hard at anything." And I think that's nonsense. I think all the best entrepreneurs work super hard uh, to achieve their mission. So I think uh, I believe that hard work is more important than smarts.
2: Yeah, sometimes I think balance doesn't necessarily um, exist, at least uh, from a micro level, maybe on a macro level, but definitely not a micro level.
0: If you find something you love, like balance is is not a thing because you love your job. Absolutely.
2: So next question. What have you changed your mind about lately?
0: Working from home. I, I grew up in my 20s working, as you know, at BCG and other companies where I was in the office like 18 hours a day. Uh, and that was all I thought was, I thought you had to be in the office with your team to be successful and build a culture. That's nonsense. You, there are definitely in-person elements like we discussed that are important, but uh, my team have a better balance now. They don't commute, they don't harm the environment every morning by getting on an Uber or on the train. And we're more productive working remotely than we were in person. So I've completely shifted my mindset about the future of work.
2: Yeah, we're we're starting to kind of see that in our own teams as well. All right, so uh, before we close up, what's next for Zumper and uh, where can people find you on the interweb?
0: Oh, great. Well, um, I'm on Twitter tweeting annoying stuff about rental pricing <laughs> and uh, stuff just at Anthemos, A-N-T-H-E-M-O-S on Twitter. Um, where people can find us just at Zumper.com. And what's next for Zumper is... Uh, our product, InstaRent, is our future, both in the U.S. and Canada. Um, we have two lines of our business. One is lead generation, which is super important, uh, which is like how landlords can access our renters. But then over time, we're going to increasingly work with our partners and our clients to say, hey, uh, don't pay us for leads. Pay us for fully qualified renters that can actually transact through our system. We want to help renters book apartments instead of just find apartments. And that's that's what's next for Zumper.
2: All right. Perfect. Well, um, that's it for another episode Anthemos. Thank you so much for doing this. And, um, until next time, keep swimming.
1: You've reached the end of another episode of sink or swim. Make sure to visit us at rentsync.com slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in this show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. That's this week's episode of Sink or Swim. Don't forget to join us next time for another jam-packed episode. Thanks for listening.